Well, hey there, and welcome to First Take, a podcast ministry of First Reformed Presbyterian Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. I'm Assistant Pastor Jim Curtis here with my senior pastor, Brett Coran, today to offer you our take this week on dispensational eschatology. Dispensational eschatology. Okay, Brent, we've got two tongue twisters back to back. Last <laughs> week, dispensational. Now we're adding to it. Uh, tell us just briefly what these words put together mean. So if you got to listen to last week, which I really enjoyed being together to do that, um, we were really trying to give some broad pictures on uh, what dispensationalism is. We didn't really give a whole lot on the... Um, even just giving the details about everything about dispensationalism, but we were able to give broad strokes on what they believe. Mm-hmm. So you'd have to go back and listen to that. It's a system of theology, a way of reading the scripture, a way of understanding the Bible. And of course, eschatology is the study of end times. Mm-hmm. Um, so when we think about dispensational theology, we're basically asking the question, what does a dispensationalist believe about the end times? And we're really specifically asking, like, what do they think about the last few years or mm-hmm. the very end of things? Mm-hmm. So, Yeah, so like last week we talked about dispensationalism as people don't normally think or talk about dispensationalism on mm-hmm. kind of this popular level. That's right. right. When people hear dispensationalism, they more often think what we're going to talk about today. That's right. Um, so the, the main problem for today's episode <laughs> is that normally I have some sort of grasp, right, of the topic that we're going to talk about. I've I've done some little reading, or you and I have talked through it at length. Today, really, Brent, this is on you, because my <laughs> understanding, my level of understanding here is very minimal. Like, mm. I read the Left Behind series, and that's where all of my understanding of dispensational eschatology comes from. And that's not really fair to them, right? I mean, that's a fictional series. Yeah, but it was helpful in understanding it on some level. So maybe broad strokes, right? Sure. Um, so really, help us understand dispensational eschatology first by really just sketch that broad kind of detail. Give us maybe a couple high points that that most, if not all, dispensationals would would generally agree on. Well, I think just trying to give the program, and there's really three main sort of movements in their view, and then there would be some... um, small versions or small little right. sub-points. Yeah, there's going to be that. nuance within That's whatever right. we talk about That's today. That's right. Yeah. But if you're talking to a dispensationalist about eschatology, the first thing they're going to believe is the rapture, a time when the church, all believers, will disappear from the earth and they will be taken up into heaven with the Lord. And at that point begins the what they call the tribulation. Um, now, halfway through that begins what's called the Great Tribulation. And there's many things going on here. The temple's being rebuilt, or it has been rebuilt in mm-hmm. Jerusalem. At some point, Satan um, sort of embodies a person, mm-hmm. right? And we, we'll look at some of this, how the where the dispensationalists might get this idea. If you've been paying attention to our uh, time in Luke 21, we're dealing with what I believe mm-hmm. is the Tribulation, which mm-hmm. is back uh, around the time of 70 A.D., so rapture, then this time of tribulation, which is God pouring out his wrath and judgment upon the earth in various ways, mm-hmm. um, really dealing with the nation of Israel. And then at the end of that, um, Jesus will return, bring everybody with him in a sense, and then what begins is called the millennial kingdom. And this is where Jesus literally reigns upon the earth in Jerusalem for a thousand literal years um, with his people. Mm. Uh, and depending on the dispensationalist, they're, you know, the way they might describe that time, there's a temple, the sacrifices have uh, are happening again. Um, 
depending on who's there, some you might talk to some dispensationalists and say that the uh, Gentiles aren't there. It's just this is for the nation of Israel. Interesting. Um, okay. Just depends on who you talk to. And then at the end of that, there will be a time when Satan is sort of loosed again, and then the end comes and we enter into eternity. But really, the, the broad strokes is rapture, seven-year tribulation, thousand-year reign of Christ. Okay, so I've got a million questions already. <laughs> Right. Um, I, as we said last week, you and I were not coming from dispensational theology. Like you've got the history of it, but just from our angle today, neither one of us are dispensationals. Right. right? Um, if you're a dispensationalist uh, trying to get ordained in the PCA, you're going to have kind of a bad time. You're right? not going to make it. Yeah, you're just, That's right. it's not going to happen. So, um, But we're coming at it from this covenant theology angle. Uh, which I'll I'll just further our tease from last week. We will have an episode <laughs> about it, but our, our our interview got scheduled for next week, so that's coming soon. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, instead of just asking all these questions, I'm going to treat you like our professor, Dr. Kara, and just mm. let you kind of tell us. And then if I have any clarification questions, I'll, I'll hop in. So let's start with the rapture. We got to start there. Sure. Uh, what is this about? What, what, what's, give us the picture of this. Give us kind of the details, maybe where they see it in some scriptures. Uh, 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 what, what's the deal here? Well, oddly enough, I want to start back in Daniel chapter 9. Okay. Daniel chapter 9, um, verses 24 through 27, arguably the most complicated passage in the Old Testament, if not the Bible. Difficult to understand. There's some translation differences between the NIV, the ESV, depending on which ones you would read. Um, but here is where some of the foundation for the idea of a rapture comes from. And just if there's people that aren't able to open their Bibles, maybe we could just read uh, this portion for them uh, quickly. This is the, the famous passage on the 70 weeks, mm. the 70 weeks passage of Daniel. So just beginning, the 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin and to atone for iniquity to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Just stopping for a minute. You can see here that the 70 weeks pertain to the people. Mm. They pertain to the city. So the dispensationalist sees this and says, okay, there's 70 weeks that are that God is going to deal with the nation of Israel. Now, the 70 mm. weeks, we just can't get into all of this. And I'm, you know this, I'm going to write a blog that, that teases all this out. Mm. But the way they would understand it, and there's, I would agree in this in some way, the 70 weeks are basically saying that there are 70 weeks of years. So each week is seven years. So if you take seven times 70, that equals 490. Hmm. So they would say, God's going to deal with his people for 490 years, okay? Now in the ESV, and this is where we're going to see a little bit of a uh, translation issue, but they're going to tell us when those 490 years are going to begin. Look at verse uh, 25. Know therefore and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of an anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. So what we would say is the beginning of those 490 years happens at this going out of a word to restore the, the temple and the city. And again, I'm going to wait for the blog to go through all the different permutations and when that begins. Okay, mm-hmm. um, but it's going to begin sometime theoretically around Nehemiah as that's right the, the the returning from exile and that sort of thing. That's right, okay. and depending on which command to rebuild the temple, rebuild the city. Right, and there's probably four main views. I think I think I'm right, so I know one. You don't uh, say. Yeah, I'd imagine that. 
um, that ends at Messiah, that okay. these 70 weeks kind of fall on his death. And that's where I think I understand the passage. But if you were to look at an NIV or, or, an, or, or a KJV, and he, there's an a important difference here between them and the, um, and the ESV. If you read the next part, when it says that there should be seven weeks, it sounds like the Messiah is coming seven weeks into this 490 years, which would only be 49 years. But that doesn't really make a whole lot of sense, and I'm not going to get into the translation issue, but why don't you read for us what the NIV, the way it says yeah, it. Yeah, I've got the NIV here, and it would just say, very similar at the beginning, but with a quick thing at the end, know and understand this, from the time the word goes out to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. Right, so there's the difference, right? So... The way the NIV translates it, there are 69 weeks mm. until the coming of Messiah. Mm-hmm. So now you've got, okay, that's 483 years mm-hmm. before Messiah comes. And I, mm-hmm. I tend to agree with the, the NIV and the KJV. So as we walk through this, the way the, the dispensationalists would, would understand this is that God has said, I'm going to deal with the nation of Israel for 490 years, okay? But we have this... Um, the seven weeks and 62 weeks, which is 69 weeks, until the coming of Messiah, mm-hmm. 483 years. Now, 490 minus 483 equals seven years. So the way they would understand is that when Christ came mm-hmm. and offered the kingdom to the Jews, and they rejected it, we are now in what's called a parenthesis. So this 490 years that God has promised has actually been paused. So God dealt with his people 483 years, and now we're in this parentheses time, and we're waiting for that final week, that final seven years for God to deal with Israel, where he's going to bring judgment and wrath and those types of things mm-hmm. upon the earth, which is really where the tribulation comes from. This is mm-hmm. where the seven-year tribulation comes from, one of the places mm-hmm. that it's there. And so the rapture is sort of necessary to get the church out of the way so that God can go back and deal with Israel. Remember what we talked about last week? Mm-hmm. Israel and the church are two separate entities. Mm-hmm. And so this is part of where the idea of the rapture comes from. Just to, just to show our listeners one main difference in this passage between um, a covenant theologian and a dispensationalist, and these are important differences. If you read on in the passage... And you get to, let's look at verse 26. It says, And after 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. Now, we think that's a reference to Christ, and I think Mm -hmm. that the the dispensationalists would agree with us. And then it says, And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end there shall be be war. Desolations are decreed. Now, verse 27, And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. We believe that's still talking about Jesus, the prince, the one to come mm-hmm. to be cut off for his people. The dispensationalist, you could read John MacArthur's study Bible, he believes that's the Antichrist. So these are not small exegetical differences between us. Mm-hmm. And I'm not saying that they think Jesus is satanic or anything like that. I'm saying <clears throat> they think the passage is referring to Satan. Mm-hmm. I believe the passage is referring to Christ, mm-hmm. which gives just a completely different understanding of this particular uh, passage here. So in terms so. of the rapture, because I know maybe our listeners are like, wait a second, I thought we were talking about the rapture. Yeah, that's right. Really, the, the church is, uh, uh, I mean, I don't want to necessarily put it so negatively, but we're in the way. If in you a sense. Will. 
we we need to get out of the way so that the people of Israel can experience these last seven, seven years, years That's right. which is a week of Daniel. Mm-hmm. So they pulled out their calculators. They've done all this stuff, mm-hmm. right? You've, you've shown us w- where they're coming at it and really highlighted that that difference, once again, of the, the distinction between the church and Israel, which I'd have to go back and listen, but I think we said, or at least we should have said, <laughs> that the reason for this is because the promises of Scripture, uh, particularly in the Old Covenant, don't belong to you and me. And not right? in the because, same way, that's right. Right, because we're not Israel. Mm-hmm. Um, because Israel is that you know that sharp distinction between us and Israel, mm-hmm. and so this is necessary for that. So so it's necessary kind of in their scheme, but also like we should see something like that in the Bible, mm-hmm. right? So where would they turn next after Daniel? So then you'd have to deal with some of the passages that uh, a dispensationalist believes is teaching this secret rapture. Mm-hmm. Remember, this is a secret rapture that people are just going to disappear. And if you talk to some, they would probably take you to uh, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, where it talks about where John has said, come up here. Some would tell you that's that's sort of the, the church getting out of the way because they see Revelation as the time of the tribulation. Another uh, kind of famous one is Matthew 25, where it talks about one being taken and one left. Mm. Um, and you and I have talked about this. Uh, you talk to a dispensationalist, he's saying, see, the one that's taken, that's the rapture. He's being mm-hmm. taken secretly. The problem is, in that particular passage, that one's taken in judgment. Mm-hmm. It's it's the exact opposite. They've gotten it sort of backwards in understanding mm-hmm. the text. Not to mention John in Revelation 4 is a Jew. Well, that's right. But he's representing the church, they would okay, say. Okay. Right. Um, now, um, the main one, though, and you know where we're going, is uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And this is really what is often just referred to as uh, the rapture passage. Mm-hmm. First Thessalonians chapter 4, and this is where we begin in verse 13. I'll just give a chance for our people to turn there, or you can pause this, either way it works for you. Um, but just kind of reading through this, I'll, I'll, I'll move through it re- relatively quickly, and people will see where this comes from. It says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. So the, the context here is he's bringing comfort to them. He wants to know the people that have left, there are people concerned that perhaps the people that have died have missed out on the new heavens and new earth. They've mm-hmm. missed out on the coming of Christ. They He's didn't make say, it to the return, therefore they won't be there. That's right. Yeah. They died before Jesus came back. They must you know, either be in hell or they just went into oblivion or whatever it is. And he goes, mm-hmm. no, 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 we want to encourage you with this. Verse 14, for since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Those who have died, they won't miss out. Mm-hmm. Jesus is going to bring them. God will bring them with him. Verse 15, For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. His main point is, look, if you're still alive when Jesus comes, people that have died before you, there's not going to be anything about you that is superior. You don't get any mm-hmm. extra blessings or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, you won't precede them. You're not going to be ahead mm-hmm. of them. And then verse 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven. Tell me if this sounds like a secret um, event. The Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and the sound of the trumpet of God. There are three loud things going mm-hmm. on there. That's like cacophony, man. That's it's, a lot of volume. It is. I mean, it's an archangel, there's a trumpet going on, and there's this cry coming, right? The way I would see this, 
we see this as the second coming. We don't see mm-hmm. this as a secret mm-hmm. event to remove people. Mm-hmm. But the next verse is really the one that people um, grab onto. Uh, finishing verse 16, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Verse 17, then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up. There's your rapture word. Mm-hmm. We'll be raptured together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So if you're talking to dispensationalists, he reads this passage like this. Jesus is going to come down secretly. No one's going to know about it. And he's going to grab his his church, we who are alive, he's going to, they're going to disappear and he's going to take them up into heaven. Uh, the problem here, there's multiple problems I've already shown that this mm-hmm. seems to be much more of a second coming mm-hmm. end of the world passage. Mm-hmm. But one of the the technical things about it is when you see the the word there for to meet, when it says that it says with them in the clouds, verse 17, to meet the Lord in the air. Mm-hmm. The imagery that a first century reader would have had, that's a technical term when a king, tell me if this sounds familiar, Mm -hmm. visits a city, and what happens is, if you think about when Jesus came to Jerusalem, what what happened? The people came out of the city, met him outside, got behind him, and then they followed him into the city. This word is that technical term. Hmm. And so what Paul is saying is, Jesus will show up, whether this happens exactly literally or not. This is the imagery he wants you to have. We will meet him in the air, Mm -hmm. and he will lead us down to the earth for the new heavens and new earth. Mm. That's what's being described here. And again, if you were a first century guy, when you see that word to meet, you're thinking a king coming to visit a city. You're not hearing something like, we're going to meet him and then go back up into heaven. You're hearing the king has come for his final visitation to usher in his new heavens, new earth. Right. So, so if we, there's there's maybe one or two other passages we'd look at, but this yeah. is the main one. Well, I mean, I, I even see just three other problems. Go ahead. I mean, first, context, mm-hmm. right? If, if he's talking about a secret rapture, this seems like a really weird context to do it. He's, he's comforting the people of Thessalonica who are concerned that their loved ones, uh, their family members, their friends who have died, didn't make it. Mm. Right, and mm-hmm. so he's like, "Oh no, no, don't worry about it. Jesus is actually going to rapture us later on." That's right. That doesn't seem to bring the comfort that no, no, no. There's going to be a resurrection from the dead. Mm-hmm. Jesus will bring us to Himself, and then He will lead us triumphantly into eternity. Yeah, right. Uh, uh, here, where it says, uh, "And so we will always be with the Lord at the end of 17. Right. So just the context doesn't seem quite right. The second issue I would see here is uh, again a contextual point, but Paul being a Jew, talks about us who believe. Mm-hmm. And so what would we do, for example, with Messianic Jews? What would mm-hmm. we do for the Jewish people who at the start of the church age in the book of Acts were Jewish, mm. right? Uh, even you go back to uh, one of my favorite passages to show this is Acts 6. There's a dispute between Jews in Jerusalem and in Judea and Hellenists, which are Greek-speaking Jews. And mm-hmm. so the, the, the major demographic of the church in the first age uh, first couple of years would be Jewish mm-hmm. people. And so it, it would seem to me that believing Jews would also need to be raptured, but that sure. would seem to go against that, that sh- sort of sharp distinction. Uh, and then uh, again, the, the, the final one I would see here is, is really uh, this idea that Jesus comes and goes back. We, w- the church has never really confessed that. 
Hmm. Right? You go back to the creeds, you go back to early church teaching, you go into the Reformation. Uh, we talked about the, the novelty of dispensationalism just historically, mm-hmm. but we've always confessed one resurrection of the dead, we've confessed one single coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I just, I'm confused mm-hmm. historically, contextually, uh, how this passage would, would even teach that, in addition to what you brought up. And so I just, can I just say I don't, I don't see it here. Well, and, and I think especially that last one that you pointed out, the way the dispensationalist understands it is there's two phases to his second coming. There's this phase, and then there will be another one in seven years. Now, interestingly, Jim, um, we're not supposed to know when Jesus is to return. Isn't that right? Neither the day nor the hour, right? as they say. If Jesus raptures his church, and then you know there's going to be a seven-year tribulation before Jesus comes, the people that are on earth would know when Jesus would return. Mm. So it actually undermines what we would what we believe about no one knows the day or the hour. Mm-hmm. So um, no one knows the rapture, mm-hmm. perhaps, but once the rapture happens, you can actually say, well, okay, set your watch, seven years from now, mm-hmm. Jesus will return. Then it isn't really right. a surprise. Right. So, Not yeah, the thief I, in the night that we're told. That's about. right, that's right. Yeah. So, I mean... Again, there's a couple of the passages you could look at, but this is the main one. And I just think mm-hmm. on the surface of it, once you understand the passage, forget your uh, eschatology for a minute, forget about dispensational covenantal view. If you just exegete the text, it does not lead to a secret rapture. Right. Uh, while there might be some of these other ones, like I pointed out, those can be dealt with as well. But once this one's defeated, this is my view about dispensationalists, especially with their eschatology. Once one of these sort of foundational pillars falls, mm-hmm. the rest of the it falls apart as well. Yeah. So, and there's there's other ones to knock down. Yeah. So. And of course, whenever we go in into a study of scripture, dispensationalists would say this too, right? This isn't just us, but we would need to understand the context, mm-hmm. particularly the historical context, and the question they're asking just isn't in my understanding, this is not relevant sure. to, to, to that sort of conclusion. I just can't imagine being a, a Thessalonian and hearing that and going, <laughs> oh, yay, you know, I've gotten this wrong. I would think, wait, I've got a, a million other questions. That's right. That doesn't really address what I'm saying. You know? Yeah. Okay, so we've got the rapture. We understand its necessity. Uh, we see uh, some scriptures you brought up now that, that show that. Let's keep moving along. The tribulation. Uh, you showed us from from Daniel seven, uh, excuse me, Daniel nine, mm-hmm. all of the sevens, right? Yeah, that's right. Where uh, uh, they would kind of get this understanding. Uh, what's the deal with the tribulation? What is that supposed to look like? Uh, go into that. So, if you've been with us in our time in in Luke, um, the way a, a dispensationalist reads that passage, Luke twenty one, mm-hmm. Matthew twenty four, and Mark thirteen, but then also. Uh, the book of Revelation is basically dealing with the tribulation mm. and what's going to happen there, all the different plagues that will come. And that's going to be the literal hermeneutic or the, the literal interpretation of the Bible we talked about last week. That's right. Play here, right. And as you know, there's multiple ways to read the book of Revelation. We're just not going to deal with that right now. Right, we'll okay. talk about it in a minute when we get to Revelation 20. But um, to deal with the tribulation, um, honestly, I'm going to deal with it in a blog on, through Daniel 9, but mm. also if you're with us, in Luke 21, you're seeing that I'm saying the tribulation is later, mm-hmm. or, or as, is in the past. Mm. And I think this is important for people to understand. What you and I would say about Jesus' return is we just, we don't see a program like this. Right. We see Jesus one day returning. Thief in the night. Thief in the night. Things things could be terrible on the earth, 
things might be a little better on the earth. There's, mm-hmm. there's argument about what that might look like. We all know it's just going to get worse. Anyway, right. So, okay. You know. So let's just assume you're right. Um, <laughs> but all we're saying is Jesus will return. Yeah. And usher in the new heavens and new earth. That, that's our view. So we don't, we don't have to deal with this in our theology of this mm-hmm. tribulation, this rapture, this millennial kingdom. Mm-hmm. Although we do believe in the millennial kingdom, mm-hmm. we just believe that millennial kingdom is right now. Right. They, taking place. Our, our listeners may, may be familiar with or, or may hear us say throughout the course of this and your sermons and even potentially our podcast next week. We'll see. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, terms like millennial. Right. right, which isn't to say there is no millennial kingdom, though that's kind of, I guess, etymologically maybe what might be assumed. <laughs> but it, it it means it's not literal. That's right. right? And then you got post millennialism, which would also uh, affirm that it's not a literal thousand years, mm-hmm. right? Whereas here in dispensationalism, uh, we would understand them under the the tent of pre millennial, right? Right, where all this is happening before a literal pre uh, literal millennial kingdom, right. 1,000 years to the day, right? Mm-hmm. So this tribulation, you've talked about it in a couple sermons. We'll, we'll point people back to those. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're going to do a blog post on this that I'm really looking forward to. Like I said, my pop-level understanding just really <laughs> needs to get deeper. So I, I, I look forward to that um, that deeply. But the tribulation is just not going to look good. Yeah, Is that generally right for, for the dispensational understanding? It's going to be just hardship after hardship, and then it's going to get worse after half of it, right? That's right. Uh, you talked about the Great Tribulation in one of your recent sermons. Uh, you, you believe that's a reference to the temple in that's right. AD 70. That's right? right. So then what happens? We get to the end of that. Okay, so... Seven the, years is up. So the end of that, this is where, uh, again, I don't want to speak for all dispensationalists, but they would believe that Jerusalem would be surrounded by armies, mm. in a sense, right? Um, they're looking at the Battle of Armageddon, Right. This is toward the end, and what happens is um, Jesus returns to defeat his enemies. Um, and at the end of that, now we begin the thousand-year literal reign of Christ. Mm-hmm. And this is where you and I are going to have to turn to uh, Revelation chapter twenty. Right. And just for people to know this, uh, Revelation chapter twenty—it's the only place in the Bible where the um, millennium is a- addressed directly and explicitly. Mm -hmm. And something, this is where you'll hear this if we post this before the sermon on Sunday. Some of this has to do with the way we understand the book of Revelation. And we're not going to get into all that, but you and I would see Revelation having seven snapshots of the same event, which is the event we're talking about is the time between Christ's first coming and second coming. Yeah, just a quick plug for William Hendrickson and More Than Conquerors. Very good, very good. Um, A dispensationalist reads it as sort of future, Right. Right. And when you get to chapter 20, they believe this is the millennial kingdom. So let's just read it. Now, remember, this is in the most symbolic, <laughs> metaphorical book in the Bible. Right. All right. So let's just read. Well, what... and just quickly before we do, I just want to tell our listeners who are, are hearing us read this, and if you're reading along with us, I just want to note, note that literal interpretive method again. Mm-hmm. I think we're going to see that clear as day in this passage. I think mm-hmm. this is going to be um, just crystal clear. So as we read that, keep, let's keep that in mind, that they're going to read this and they're going to read it very literally. Yes, uh, and I'll show, I'll show some of those yeah. points. Yeah, that's so exactly Revelation that. 20. All right, Revelation 20. says, Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit, and a great chain. Now, 
If I was mean to a dispensationalist, I would say, is there a literal key, a little bottomless pit, is a literal chain? But you're not mean. So. But I'm not mean, so I wouldn't ask that question. And depending on the dispensationalist, they would have a way to answer that. Right. But this already tells us we're in apocalyptic language, mm-hmm. which is going to be very symbolical. Mm-hmm. Okay, verse 2. And he seized the dragon, but not a literal dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years, okay? This is important. And threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him so that he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that, he must be released for a little while. So just stopping, here's the thousand years. Right. So this is why they believe in the literal reign of Christ. So when Christ is literally, literally reigning on the earth, sitting on the Davidic throne, Satan is bound. So there is, the the earth is perfect in that sense. And again, depending on the dispensationalists, they would tell you what it's like. The way we would read this, though, I want to show how the text says that Satan is bound for a specific thing. Notice in verse 3, threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him, that he might not deceive the nations any longer. Mm. Satan's ability to deceive the nations. He's been, in a sense, kicked out of heaven. We'd have to go back to Revelation 12 and 13. When Christ died and rose again, he defeated him, Mm -hmm. thrust him out. And one of the things here is if, for you and me, we hear the Abrahamic promise here. Not going to deceive the nations any longer. Why is that important? Because God made promises to Abraham that the promise of the gospel Mm-hmm. of the Abrahamic promise of these blessings need to go to mm-hmm. the nations. Right. And so it's really more of a picture of Satan is no longer able to deceive people because the gospel is going forth to bring right. the blessing of Jesus Christ, not just to Israel anymore, but to all the nations. Right, the Gentiles would be in, in view here. And this is one That's of the right. reasons that you and I, whether we're post-mill or ah-mill, uh, we would understand that this would be happening now. That's right. Right. That that Satan is not able to deceive. I mean, uh, just go back and read the Old Testament. Uh, read First and Second Samuel. Read First uh, and Second Kings. See the dealings that the people of Israel had with the nations, and see how the nations were wicked because of the gods that they worshipped. Mm. Right. The deception That's right. that is happening around Israel, which is then beginning to affect Israel. Yeah. So we would read this, like you said, we ding off Abraham in our heads, right? We would look at the history of Israel and go, hey, that's what we saw, Mm. the nations around them. Then we see the New Testament come. We see the Holy Spirit descend at the day of Pentecost. Mm -hmm. And we see the gospel march outward from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth, right? And so these nations are no longer being deceived. Why? Because Satan isn't given that authority anymore because somebody else is reigning. And who is that? King Jesus. That's right. right. And this goes back to uh, the passage, uh, the reference um, slipping my mind right now, but it's where uh, Jesus says he fought, he saw Satan fall like lightning. Yeah. Right? The, it, that's when they go out to preach the gospel. Mm. He, they come back and they say, this happened, this happened. He said, yeah, I saw Satan fall. Mm. The preaching of the gospel did that. Mm-hmm. There's also a place where Jesus says that the strong man is bound. Mm. It's a reference to him binding Satan. Mm-hmm. So, the But way- it's important to say here, I think, that it's not that we don't believe Peter when he says the devil's roaming around like a prowling lion, Absolutely. seeking whom he may devour. It's not that Satan has no input, That's no right. influence whatsoever. It's that his power has been severely limited. He's not a king. Mm-hmm. He's not deceiving nations, though we might say some nations today are deceived. <laughs> 
but he's a lion roaming. That's right. right? Kings don't roam, right? We would mm. we would see, just see this differently because I would also think here the temptation of Jesus, wouldn't you? Of oh yeah, J- Satan offering G- like he has the audacity to do right, right? Um, offering these kingdoms and and the reign. Why? Because he had that ability. Yep. To deceive the nations, mm-hmm. and we would now say that's that's not happening. But for the dispensational, they would see this as kind of a golden age, a golden it, era. I think, in, I think it's probably a, a fair way to say it. Um, it is a time Jesus, 1,000, you have to understand, there's the literal interpretation. Right. This 1,000 years, since it says 1,000, has to be interpreted as 1,000 years. Right. So, and that's what I would say is that's actually a commitment prior to coming to the text. Mm-hmm. That's not informed by the text, is what we would say. That is just saying, I think a thousand years should be literal. My response is, I don't. Right. So now what do we do? Well, we, we deal more with the text. Yes. And that actually gets into the whole, how do we understand the book of Revelation? Right. So um, that's that's where I think last week's episode is important to listen right. to first. Yep. Right. We've got to talk about our preconceived notions, our presuppositions, if mm-hmm. you will, in, in coming to these things. You know, we, we tell people all the time, Hey, I met somebody who believes uh, this, that, or the other, and I tell them all the time, well, it's not like that's a, a symptom. Hmm. I think of a larger question. That larger question is how do we read the Bible? That's right. That's right? right. That that just we continually come back to that. That's right? right. I think there's something important here just for the last few verses. This is where we'll kind of wrap up our time, especially with regard to the millennium. It says, Then I saw thrones, this is verse four, seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Mm. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark and their foreheads on their heads. They came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. There's the reigning of Jesus. Mm -hmm. So the dispensationalist says, these are the people that will be reigning with Christ during that thousand years. Now, we have a different understanding of this. Right. When it talks about them coming to life, we don't see this as a physical resurrection. Right. So reading it further, and then we'll finish here. Verse five, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. It says, this is the first resurrection. Now, biblically, the first resurrection is not referred to as anything physical. Mm. It's spiritual. Mm. It is us being raised with Christ if we went and looked at the way John deals with this in his own writings, he uses first resurrection in other places. It's a reference to us going from death to life mm. spiritually. Paul's old and new man. Yes, right? yes. Um, it is a reference to like a Romans 8. Mm-hmm. We've been raised with Christ. Amen. Ephesians 1, we, we're seated with him in the heavenlies. Mm-hmm. And think about this passage and how this would have encouraged the readers. They're dealing with persecution. Mm-hmm. They've seen other people being martyred. And he tells them that if you have taken part in the first resurrection, you reign with Christ mm-hmm. right now. Listen to how he finishes it in verse 6. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power. Mm-hmm. But they will be priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. The second death is eternal death. We just mm-hmm. turn over, we read it. Right. The the then you get death, the priesthood, right? Peter that, says you're a holy priesthood, that's a it. royal nation. So right. you and I are priests to God even now. This goes back not to... Not because we're pastors. Not because, that's right. Everybody. Everybody. Priesthood all Christians. Believe, that's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so when you and I read it, if you were to read what a dispensationalist would say, mm. he sees the first resurrection as the resurrection that happens at the beginning of the millennium, a physical, literal, physical mm. 
mm-hmm. resurrection. The second resurrection will come later after the millennium. Mm-hmm. So they actually have two physical resurrections where we say, no, there's one bodily resurrection mm-hmm. at the coming of Christ, right. but there's a spiritual resurrection that is needed for anyone who wants to take part right. in that new life, um, especially what comes after all And that's just, again, New Testament language. You're dead in your trespasses and sins. Mm-hmm. You were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? Paul says, and so were some of you, mm-hmm. but you've been washed, you've been cleaned, right? Um, and I think, too, this, again, we, we could talk details, but it goes back to that fundamental question of how to read the Bible yep. and what parts of the Bible affect which, and not in terms of priority, but in terms of understanding, right? I, I, I just honestly all the time think about my favorite part of the Westminster Confession, chapter 1, paragraph 9, uh, the, the unclear parts of Scripture mm. need to be interpreted by the clear parts of Scripture. And I love my dispensational brothers and sisters. I love my friends who who love eschatology. Mm-hmm. But Revelation is one of the least clear books in the Bible. Can we agree to <laughs> yeah, that? I think so. And so I think we need the rest of the Bible to interpret first resurrection, interpret second death for us. Mm-hmm. We need to see how the Bible cooperates as one functional whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I just I I don't see the dispensationals committing to that exact same thing that's right. in, in a way that's uh, uh, biblically sustainable. Here, so. Well, Jim, that's really helpful for this Sunday. Hmm. I don't know when this going to be posted, but um, one of the things I'm going to be talking about I'll is... Spice it up and put it on good. Saturday. No, let's yeah. do that. Is how important scripture interpreting scripture is. Yeah. And we'll also talk about um, apocalyptic language. Hmm. But just to encourage our people, especially here in Revelation 20, this isn't just a question of eschatology. Mm-hmm. If you read it, just read those portions, he's talking about that right now, in this long period of time between Christ's first coming and second coming, we reign with Christ. No matter what happens to you in this world, Mm -hmm. uh, whether you are martyred Mm -hmm. for knowing Christ, whether you die of cancer, whether you die in a car wreck, whether you suffer uh, just great difficulty, the promise is you have Jesus, Mm -hmm. you reign with him. Um, That's what we're supposed to hear from this, not just sort of a question of, oh, I can do a timeline and I can do a map to find out what things are going to be like. And when Jesus is going to start to reign. That's right. We're, we're, me- we're meant to see this right. as an encouragement and something that we can experience even now. That's right. Well, Brent, thanks so much for uh, teaching me about dispensational eschatology. I'm sure I'm not the only one who is very appreciative of uh, the knowledge that you brought today. Looking forward to that blog post. Hmm. Would just uh, remind our listeners that you, you've mentioned a few of your sermons. I would just personally encourage uh, uh, the listeners of First Take to go back and listen to your sermons on Luke 21 from the start, mm. where you began this little mini-march through the Olivet Discourse, this uh, sort of apocalyptic section of the gospel. I think they've been very, very helpful and very mm. good. Um, and then finally, uh, just thankful so much for the opportunity for this podcast, the previous one, but next week... We got a special guest coming to talk to us about what we believe. So, so no more kind of uh, rubbing and uh, ribbing our, our dispensational brothers. We're gonna we're gonna get to the meat of uh, why we believe what we believe about the Bible uh, with a great friend of ours. So, looking, looking forward, forward to, that. to that. Awesome, Brent. Well, thanks so much for your take today, brother, and we'll see you next time. Thanks, Jim. Bye.